So the old covenant and the new covenant work together. This is why in this teaching, I am bringing that which was, was presented in the old covenant, the tabernacle, and it's being taught in parallel how it applies to us today in our prayer life and our relationship with God, mind, body, soul, or body, soul, spirit, I should say, in the new covenant. So once you enter in to the glory of glories, after going through the altar of incense, which we went over, you're presented with three things. The Ark of the Covenant, which no longer exists today. We know that the Ark of the Covenant, the physical Ark of the Covenant was taken during uh, the Babylonian invasion after Jeremiah preached for 40 years and no one believed him. No one really technically knows what happened to the Ark. Um, some say that Jeremiah hid it. Others say that um, it was carried off and perhaps by um, the Ethiopian Jews who were the descendants of Solomon and Sheba. Um, others believe that God himself took it. But we know that after the Babylonian invasion came, the Ark of the Covenant ceased to exist. But the ark itself represented a place where the spirit of the living God resided. It was the holiest of holy places. If anyone even touched the ark without permission from God himself even, they died. They perished immediately. Immediately we find multiple stories or accounts of this throughout the Old Testament. But we know the new testament the new covenant christ being our mediator our high priest who shed his blood on calvary so that though our sins be as scarlet we shall be made white as snow and as paul said again repeating from earlier because of christ because of the spirit of christ we now can enter confidently and boldly or boldly and confidently before the throne of god that ark represents that where God resides, his throne. And so once you enter in, there were three things. Remember the three things that were contained inside of the Ark of the Covenant. And we're going to go over each three and what they represent. So number one, the rod. The rod of Aaron that had budded at this point. And that itself was miraculous because it wasn't like it was attached to a root or in a ground where it was being watered, yet it blossomed, it budded. <clears throat> Aaron's staff represents two things. Remember, we talked about Psalm 23, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And we said that the rod and the staff represent two things correct one was for guidance and one was for discipline now when we look at Aaron's staff we know that 
It was used in, in symbolic, again, a staff uh, is used typically by a herdsman or shepherd to lead. Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and eventually to the river Jordan where Joshua took over from there because Moses was not allowed to enter into, his, into the promised land because of his sin. However, we also know that Aaron's rod was also used by Moses to bring down plagues. So, which was the judgment and chastisement of Pharaoh and the rest of Egypt. So, this is something that I, I like to point out because I kind of spoke, I spoke earlier about how my husband said in a Passover teaching, how we are so used to having happy Jesus and we become so conditioned to having this happy Jesus that we have forgotten the fear of the Lord. No one wants to talk about the God of the old covenant. Why? Because the God of the old covenant flooded the earth. The God of the old covenant destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. The God of the old covenant wiped out the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Canaanites and the, and the Philistines and, and, and the Amorites and all and the Amalekites and so on and so forth, right? The God of the Old Testament punished Israel for their iniquities and their transgressions, their constant rebellion. So nobody wants to talk about the God of the Old Testament because the God of the Old Testament, according to some, is harsh. It's not that the God of the Old Testament is harsh. It's that the God of the Old Testament is holy. And holiness, again, for the third time, is a requirement. The God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. And that's the part that no one wants to talk about. Because the God of the Old Testament and his ways, we find again in the God of the New Testament, which is the same God, by the way. I'm just saying this for sake of translation. In the book of Revelation. During the apocalypse. Right? Same God, not a different God here. No one wants to talk about that. And you know, I mentioned the book of Revelation and the book of Revelation by far is the least read and talked about and taught book in the church in the 21st century. Why? Because it reminds them too much of the God of the Old Testament. That's why. This rod of Aaron, being in the Ark of the Covenant, represents God's guidance, but also his discipline. He is a loving God, as we stated earlier. He's a God, he is a God that is love. But he is also that great and terrible God that the Old Testament talks about. It talks about, it says he is a great and terrible God. One who requires reverence. There. Not that shaking in your boots fear, although some people have to be brought to that point. But that reverential fear, that respect and honor of knowing 
that he, as Jesus said, can destroy both your soul and your flesh in the lake of fire. Even Jesus talks about that. He says, don't fear man. Don't fear that which can only touch your flesh. Fear him who can destroy your flesh and your soul in the lake of fire. That reverential fear. So he is the God that will guide, that will lead. But he is the, also the God that will discipline. Is it not written that he will chastise those whom he loves? We find that in Hebrews chapter 12, I believe it is. He is the God that will chastise you. He is a God that will rise up and make the enemies his footstool. He is the God that every knee shall bow upon the earth and underneath the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the God that will require that. So when you are able to enter into the Holy Holies, you will find direction, leadership, protection even. So I'm going back to Psalm 91 again. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I say to the Lord, verse 2, he is my refuge, my fortress, the God in whom I can trust. My rock, my refuge, my fortress. Okay, all places of what? Safety. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Protection. To protection, but discipline. The second thing, the tablets, the commandments of the Lord. I like Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible, which is broken down into 22 segments representing the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Throughout Psalm 119, repeatedly, the psalmist David, who was also King David, talks about thy laws, thy commandments, and thy statutes. He even says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway, right? He says, Teach me your commandments. Write your statutes upon my heart. God is a God of order, law, and order, direction, commandments. Remember, he said the time would come. The time would come when his word would be written upon our hearts and not just on mere stone. Meaning that we would live according to his word, that he would dwell in us, that we would become a part of him and him a part of us. But understanding that he is a God of law still, law and order, 
This is goes back back again to why we cannot separate the two. We cannot separate the old covenant from the new. Well, people say, well, why why did Paul say that the law only brought death? Therefore, it does apply. I think, and I not think I know that people have misunderstood what Paul meant when he said that. When we look at the old covenant. The old covenant brought death. The old covenant, in the old covenant, no one was technically redeemed for their sins. There was a covering of your sins, but there wasn't a complete washing away of your sins. That's why Christ had to come in. Because the blood of goats and bulls and sheep was not equivalent to the blood of man because man has his soul. And so it took an equal for an equal to become the sacrifice for the equal. That's why the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The fulfillment that Christ made was that we no longer had to be sentenced to death for our sins. That's what Paul is referencing to that the law only brought death because the law proved, as Paul said, how sinful we were. And it because of it, it brought death, separation. Jesus came to reconcile us to the Father. So that that curse and sentence of death and separation from God no longer stood. The veil that separated us from God because of sin was torn. That's what Paul is talking about. This is why when we read earlier in 2 Corinthians, if they continue to read the law of Moses, the veil is over their eyes because they don't understand the new covenant. The old covenant is only half of the of half of the whole of the entirety of God's plan. It's only half. And that first half sentenced all of us to death. There was nothing in the Old Testament about ruling and reigning with God forever and ever. We find that in the New Testament. So again, you can't separate the two. You can't take one without the other. If you only take after the Old Covenant, you are sentenced to death. Because the Old Covenant did not bring true or complete reconciliation of man and God. It took the, uh, the new covenant, Christ shedding his blood to fulfill that. But again, we have people today that do not allow the Holy Spirit to teach them. They do not have the revelation of God's word. They 
And here's the interesting thing. Most of them don't, don't want the revelation because they want to take the pieces of what we call the word of God and use it and manipulate it to conform to their sinful, justified lifestyles. They don't want to know the truth. That's why when you try to tell them, they get angry. They get angry. Or they tell you you can't judge them. Or they say things like, well, I just thank God for grace. The really sad part is that when you stand before the Lord, all of that is going to be given into account. And they will suffer a loss, even if they enter in. They will suffer a loss and they will know for eternity that they could have done and had more in the kingdom of God. But they did not come into the light because they loved their wickedness. See, the light exposes, and again, that's going back to John chapter 3. The light exposes that which is hidden. And people don't come into the light because they love their wickedness. They're afraid that if they step into the light, They'll have to let go of that evil way, that wickedness, that carnality, that way of the world. And they love it. They embrace it. They enjoy it. They take pleasure in it. And so they don't want to give it up. So they will find any and every excuse to hold on to it. In a conversation with the pastor of a church that I oversee, a while back, we talked about that gray area. And I was telling this pastor, I said, what is so interesting is that people don't realize that the devil did not create the gray area. Is he in it? Is he involved in it? Yes, he is. But he didn't create the gray area. Man did. And I remember this pastor, he started laughing when we had this conversation. He says, mean, I never thought about that. I said, man created the gray area. You know why? Because man wants the best of both worlds. We want our cake and we want to eat it too. We want to say Jesus is Lord of our life. We want to say that we're living holy, but we want to hold on to those carnalities. We want to hold on to those secret sins, to those iniquities. We created the gray area, the lukewarm area. Remember, Laodicea. He says, I am rich and I have everything. Jesus said, because you are neither hot or cold, but lukewarm, I will vomit you out. Because I'd rather you be hot or cold. But you're lukewarm. We created that gray area because we want to hold on to our sins. Enjoy it. The tablets again represent Order, law and order, direction. How do I become holy? Look at the word. Look at how to start, where to start. Allowing his word, his commandments, his statutes to be written upon our hearts. Lastly, the manna. 
There was a jar inside the Ark of the Covenant that contained some manna. Once again, as I stated earlier, manna was a provision that God had given the Israelites that fell upon the ground and was there every morning for six days a week for 40 years. This is what he fed them. No one knows what manna is. They talked about looking like coriander seed and tasting like honey. No one technically knows what manna is. In fact, the word manna, which is Hebrew, means what is it? Isn't that interesting? It doesn't mean bread or honey or it means the word manna means what is it? We don't know what it was. But it was something that was given to the Israelites from God himself. And it was commanded that some of it be placed in a jar and put into the Ark of the Covenant. Manna represents provision. Even, even when you're in the wilderness, God will provide. David again, the book of Psalms, one of my favorite books. He said, I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. In times of famine, his children will have more than enough. Manna represents provision. And it doesn't necessarily mean a yacht a, a fancy car, a house. It doesn't, see, we, we, in the Western culture, we have once again been distorted on what the blessings and the provision of God is supposed to look like. Oh, that's been, that's probably one of the biggest uh, problems in, in the church. God wants you to be rich, says when and where. And what is God's definition of riches? Jesus specifically said not to build your treasures upon this world where the moth and the rust can devour it. So how did we come up with the idea that God wants us to be physically, naturally rich? That goes completely and totally against what Jesus taught. He said, where your heart is there, your treasures are also. Or where your treasure is, there your heart is also. The son of man was born in a barn, raised in the hood, roamed like a nomad, died like a thief, buried like a king. Okay? The Israelites roamed around in the desert and God provided for them. He provided water and food and their clothes didn't wear off of them, but it didn't say they had 40 pairs of shoes. Nowhere did it say that they carried Louis Vuitton and coach with them or Dolce and Gabbana or Tom Ford. No, 
They lived in tents and everybody didn't have a tent. There was no caravan of silk and gold and silver that they lived in on a day-to-day basis. They were out in the wilderness and the desert under the sun and the heat. And God provided. He provided. So I want you to understand what the provision of God looks like. It will vary in your life, but you may be in the desert. And and the desert, the wilderness was a temporary place, okay? It wasn't even a permanent home for them. They were always constantly on the move like nomads, gypsies. Think about that. Yet he provided. You may be in the wilderness, moving around from place to place with one pair of clothes and one pair of shoes and God still be providing for you. See? Oh, but like I said, we become so conditioned in the 21st century as to what the provisions and the blessings of God are supposed to look like. He had to provide manna for them, which he didn't have to, but he chose to because they could not sow or reap where they were at. So he provided. And yet, even though he provided for them the entire 40 years, They murmured and complained and rebelled constantly. They challenged God and Moses constantly. So much so that we find in Hebrews chapter 3 and in chapter 4 where we find where the Lord says, don't be like those Israelites. Now I want you to hear that. He said, don't be like them. When the voice of the Spirit of the Lord speaks today, he said, harden not your hearts as the Israelites did. He said, when they tested me at Meribeth in the wilderness, and I had to take an oath, he said, that they would never enter into my rest. So don't be like them. Remember, the God of the Old Testament is still the God of the New Testament. Remember that, right? I'm pointing this out because, again, I want to debunk this whole, you know, God is love. And I'm not saying he isn't love, but this only that God is love. And, oh, he doesn't want us to suffer. And, oh, he would never do that to us. I want to debunk all of that because this is what's preventing us from walking a holy life. Therefore, it is preventing us from being able to constantly dwell or continuously dwell in a secret place of the Most High, abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. It is a prevention of that. Because, again, we have this diluted, distorted view of who the God of gods and the King of kings, for that matter, is. Yet he didn't change. Even when we go into the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, very powerful chapter, Paul talks about what the Israelites did in the desert, how God provided for them, yet... Because of their rebellion, they were punished severely and that entire generation died in the wilderness. And then he gives this warning. 
That is, God punished, disciplined those who were his chosen children. His chosen. If they didn't get away with their stuff in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, and here we are, you know, Gentiles grafted in because he's addressing the church of Corinth, which was a Gentile church that was converted. Here we are with the grace of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ that wipes away sins. And if we don't adhere to living properly and obeying the Lord, how much more will we be disciplined? How much more will the wrath of God fall upon us? They didn't even have what Paul is saying in chapter 10. Again, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Make sure you write that down and read it. He was, they, he was saying, they didn't even have what you have. You got it good. They were punished. How much more will you be punished? How much more dangerous is it for you to basically take the, the, the grace and the blood of Jesus for granted? How much more? That's what he's saying. Don't take God for granted. He will provide. He will provide according to his riches and glory, according to his plans, according to what he sees fit, not you. That doesn't mean you can't go and ask God for things. I mean, yeah, you can ask God for whatever, but you please make sure that what you ask him for is on his terms. See, that's why it is easier to say thy kingdom come and thy will be done. But when we are to pray, we are not to pray amiss. We're not to just generally pray. We are to make our requests known to God. But the thing is, is that even in that is a balance. I mean, if you're going to God and you're asking him for a million dollars, be careful of what you ask for, because it might be the devil that'll give you that million dollars just to keep you trapped. Again, it's understanding his desires. You know, another psalm says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of, heart, of your heart. I know a lot of people use that scripture. I've heard a lot of people quote that scripture, but in whole, in its entirety, we have even lost revelation to that. See, again, the importance of the Ruh HaKodesh, your teacher, being in that. Because... Delighting yourself in the Lord means that it becomes the end of you and all of him. Right? Remember going back to what Paul said, I die daily. I die daily. So if you are delighting yourself in the Lord, meaning that you've come to the end of you and you've humbled yourself before him so that you are submitting to his will, right? Not your will, but his will be done. Guess what ends up happening? His desires become your desires. Therefore, they're fulfilled. And, and, and here, let me just add this in here. That does not mean, I'm gonna give an example, just because, this is a common and funny one that a lot of people like to use. You know, 
let's say, you know, you're believing God to get married. You're believing God. I'm going to mess with the women because I'm a woman. You're believing God for your Boaz. Right? My Boaz. Where did I get my Boaz? Right? You know, my my joke is always, we always out here asking for these Boazes, but we're, we're no roofs. God ain't going to send Boaz to someone who ain't a roof. You'll destroy him. You can say, I've been looking for God for my Boaz. Why he ain't came? I've been waiting for 25 years. Well, for 25 years, the Lord's been waiting for you to submit to him to become a roof. Ooh. Oops. But let's just use that as an example. People would say, well, you know, is that's a desire of my heart, but that doesn't necessarily mean that God's desire. You know, God is not going, he's not this like, He's not this dictator in the sense, or tyrant, I should say, is more the word. You know, where he's like, I want you to be a nun on top of a hill at a monastery, you know? Because God who said it's not good for man to be alone. I mean, that doesn't mean that God isn't going to call some of us or even anoint some of us to stay single. Some, he does. But what I'm saying is that Yes, in his desires for you, there will be things like a spouse. There may be things his desire for you to bless you be a house. But let me tell you, it's still going to become attachment to it. And I'm going to tell you, I'm gonna give you a perfect example. I'm going to give myself as an example. We hold uh, a home church. Three times. I tried to buy a building three times. The Lord said no. On the third time, it had been a while. It had been some years because I looked for the last one. But it got to the point where our house was full. It was just not comfortable to fit as many people for our events and ministry and so on and so forth. So I was looking for a facility. And talking to the Lord about it, actively looking, trying to figure out budget of how much I could afford and all of this, you know. And the Lord said, I don't I don't want you. I don't want you looking for a building. I told you I don't want you to. I don't want you to go into a building. I need you to stay mobile. And so I said, well, Lord. Our place is getting too small. He said, well. Then I'll give you a bigger house. Oh, okay. He gave me a dream about a very specific house. And when I had the dream, I wasn't even looking to move, actually. I even brought it across a couple of people that, constituents that I trust, you know, I trust here from the word, the Lord. And I, and they, and I was told, well, I don't know if the Lord wants you to move just yet. And I thought, yeah, okay. So we were planning on staying put where we're at. We were where we were at. And then all of a sudden, about seven months after that, this situation came up abruptly where we, we, we needed to move. So we began looking. And I'd for, almost forgotten about, pretty much had forgotten about the dream that he'd given me seven months prior or six months prior. And so we were looking for these houses and looked at several, my husband and I. And then we came to this one particular house and um, 
we really liked it. My kids liked it. You know, it was nice. It was in a nice neighborhood, nice area, nice schools. It was near a lake. I thought it would be great. My husband likes to take walks. I thought he would love being down by the lake and so on and so forth. And so I began the paperwork, you know, to, to gathering all the paperwork to put in for this house. And as I was beginning to gather all the stuff, you know, for the paperwork, the Holy Spirit just kept checking me, checking me, checking me, checking me like, no. And what was interesting is that this house was, was smaller, a little bit smaller than the place we were currently in. It was, it was really nice. And, you know, I kept trying to push through this paperwork and I just kept getting a stronger and stronger check in my spirit. Like, no. And finally I called my husband up at work and I said, babe, I, I can't, I can't do this. I can't put in this paperwork for this house. He's like, why? The Holy Spirit is just pulling at me. Like, no, this is not the place. And my husband said, well, if the Holy Spirit is, is, is telling you this and you feel this, then we, we need to follow through. We need to not, let's not do it. Let's keep looking. God, God wants us somewhere else. So I withdrew, apologized to the people, let them know, no, we're not going to be putting an application in for this. We're not, we're not, we're not going to put any paperwork, any bids in for this house. And so we continued looking. So anyways, that led up to another house, well, a couple of houses, but finally we came to the house that we're currently in. And when we came to this house, you know, I had this, my, my spirit was almost quivering. It was just interesting. Like, I didn't know what to make of this feeling I had driving through this particular neighborhood. And we looked at the house, my husband and I, and he seemed not to like it. <laughs> Because it was bigger. He's like, well, what do we need a bigger house? And none, and, and I need to understand. I need you to understand that I I was not putting two and two together at this point. And so, you know, we left. And then a couple of days later, the Lord spoke to me. And he says, I want you to get in your car and I want you to go back to that house. And I was like, what? And he said, I want you to go back to that house. And so I got my clothes on and I got in my car and I drove. And I'm driving through this, you know, driving to the way to the house and driving into entered into the neighborhood and the Lord had me to slow down and this is all true okay no exaggerations he had me to slow down the car he's like I want you to look around look around look to your left look to your right I'm looking to the left I'm looking to the right I'm looking at these houses I'm like yes Lord and then all of a sudden boom there's the dream he brings the dream back to me I'm like oh because in the dream the houses that I saw in the dream in the neighborhood look like the house identical to the houses that I saw in this neighborhood. And I was like, Lord, is this, oh my, like I was just fried. And then I get up to the house, you know, and we, we have the code or whatever. It had like the lock box on the door, what have you. And we had the code to get in. And I walk into the house and I walk into the foyer area and the Lord speaks to me. Like the Holy Spirit falls on me. I begin praying in the spirit. And the Lord speaks to me. He says, I'm going to give you this house. I said, Lord, this is it. He says, I'm going to give you this house. But I need you to know that this house will not be for you, but for the people. Always remember that. 
And so we put in the paperwork and we listen, we went through some warfare. I'm not gonna lie, we went through some warfare. And at first I was like, I don't even know if this is really gonna happen, but sure enough, everything went through beautifully and we were able to move in. And we've had not just more people, you know, visiting us than we've ever had. We've had people actually stay with us. We've had, we've took in, temporarily took in one time an entire family, family of four who were living in motels, not even hotels, motels, sleeping on the street, had two kids, two little tiny children. We took them in. We took in a young lady who had just given birth 10 days prior who was living in a shelter and was put out on the street and Department of Social Services was coming to take her baby. Took her in. She lived with us for four months. And countless people over the holidays came in and stayed with us. Slept in our spare bedroom, slept on our floor, on our couches. We fed them, fed their children. This is what the Lord required. It wasn't us. And we were to be reminded that it wasn't our place, but that it was his. And so that everything that we did would glorify him, not that we would fall into pride and arrogance of look at our house or look at no that it would all be to glorify God we get the blessing too because we get to stay but it's not the intent is never to keep to yourself and that's what my point is about the provisions and the blessings of God it's so that he gets the glory and it's not to brag about what you got. It's not to flash $1,100, you know, diamond encrusted heels on social media saying, look at what God got me. No, that's not. How is diamond encrusted shoes by Jimmy Choo is going to glorify God to any point? It's not. That's your greed, your vanities. Things that you want. I'm not saying you can't go buy yourself a pair of shoes. But come on now. When we're doing something to that extreme and saying, look at what God got. We're dangling in front of people and we lead people into jealousy and envy. Or we mislead the babes in Christ into believing that that's what blessings of God is supposed to look like. So if they don't have it and they're just wearing flip-flops from Target or Walmart, then that means that God has not provided for them. This is wrong. This goes back to that diluted thinking. And this is the reason why we do not experience the glory of God in our lives. Satan has tainted it. Satan has tainted us. Because we refuse to come into the light. And allow it to be exposed for what it really is. Because we love it. We enjoy it. We take pleasure in it. But the time is coming, saints, and it's already begun where the separation will be completed. And if you are in the 
gray area. And God has been pulling and calling at you for months, for years even, telling you to let go of that loudest sin mentality and choose a side. And you choose not to choose because you don't want to come into the light and you want to eat your cake or have your cake and eat it too. Let me tell you something tonight, saints. The choice will be made for you because he said, I will spew you out. I will vomit you out of my mouth. And in Proverbs, it says, be ye not as a dog that returns to its vomit. So if the scripture indicates the wise words of Solomon that was really unctioning by unctioned by God to not be as a dog that returns to his vomit. What makes you think that Christ is going to return to his? We need to learn how to enter in, saints. How to commune with the bridegroom, the high priest. Therefore, we're able to enter in and experience the glory of God and how he manifests in our lives through leadership, through protection, through law and order, and through provision. That's what the glory of God is about. And the only way you're going to become pure at heart again is that you come into the light. You press in. Stop just dwelling in and out of that outer court. Some of y'all are swinging from the outer court to outer darkness. You're barely in the outer court. You're barely coming to the bronze and altars. Time is running out. The shofar will soon blow and sound. And many are not going to hear it. Because they don't realize that now he is on the outside knocking. And they couldn't hear. Or they heard and they decided not to let him in. He has given us all the provision that is needed, saints. I need you to understand that. He has given us all the provision that is needed for us to become victorious, for us to overcome the evil one. We should not be failing. We should not make what Christ did for us why he came and lived and died and resurrected two millennia ago should not be in vain. It should not be in vain. He became the fulfillment in our lives, the fulfillment of God's covenant so that we can become alive in him so that we can reconcile, be reconciled back 
to the Father, so that as it began, how did it begin? It shall end. And how did it begin? As you heard me say earlier, it began with man and God in the garden. Where God and man communicated. Where God walked in the cool of the evening in the garden and communicated with man. That is the goal. And we need to walk in this. Time is running out. And we need to know the voice of the Lord for ourselves. And we need to learn to abide in him so that he will abide in us and to draw nigh unto him so that he will draw nigh unto us so that we can recognize his voice so that that of another we will not follow, saints. And so that we can receive, hear and receive the instructions of the Lord. And we can't do that unless we allow ourselves to be no longer led by our flesh, but led by our spirit. Led by our spirits, not even our souls. Soul is the middle man, but led by the spirit of the living God that is in you. I pray that this word tonight has been a refreshment, oil upon wounds to produce healing, a fresh water to cleanse, to cleanse away all that is filthy, a joy of gladness, an oil of gladness to produce the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And I pray that not a single word return void. Nor spoken in vain. In Jesus name. Thank you all for coming here tonight and God bless you. Shalom. This is Mina Lee Jones with Faithful Walk Healing Ministries. And I would like to personally thank you for supporting our ministry and for sharing these audio teachings. My prayer is that these podcasts will challenge your heart, mind, and soul and encourage you to study the Word of God and to seek a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Our website is www.faithfulwalkhealingministries.com where you can find more information about our ministry, upcoming conferences, and links to our social media accounts. I would also like to invite you to join our interactive online Bible study that takes place every Thursday night starting at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can join us by calling 712-770-4852 and the access code is 607-594. I look forward to hearing from you soon. God bless you and shalom.